0: We're Evan and Linda Foote. We came to Pomerado Christian Church in the fall of 1977. You know, during that second decade, 78 to 88, there were a couple real key things that happened. We, we paid off the building, actually expanded the building by 50% and had it all paid off. We hired our first full-time missionary. In fact, we considered him a staff member of our church. It's just that he was working in Rhodesia, Africa. It's now Zimbabwe, John Mark Pemberton. So we became a missionary-minded church. We also hired a great youth pastor. So we, our amazing. church was known as having a great preschool and now a great youth department too. So those were early things, things that happened early on in that decade that have had a long-term effect.
1: So when Josh was younger and he had severe asthma um, you know people in the church were pitching in to help us out so much but the Sunday before Thanksgiving we were getting ready we were always the last ones out the door. We were getting ready to leave and I said Evan oh look at this how weird is that? Notice there was an envelope there and when I picked it up it said it was to Evan and Linda Foote and when we opened it a person said every time I prayed this week when I was doing my devotions I felt like God wanted me to give you $150 and tell you he knows your needs before you do. And so we looked at each other like, oh what does that mean, you know?
0: We could probably spend $150 in a lot of different ways. But the catch was there's some need. We didn't know of a need.
1: So that Wednesday Josh was way worse and we went to the doctor and and so the doctor said, you know, I'm gonna send my nurse down to the supply house where this machine is that we use here to help him breathe. I know it's really expensive, I know you can't afford it. I'm gonna buy one today and I will sell it to you for my cost. And he said, okay, I'm really sorry, the price is pretty steep. Of course you remember, this is a long time ago. And he said it's $150. And we both were like, oh my no. gosh, that's it. So Evan whips the money out of his pocket. And the doctor just looks at us kind of funny, so we explained this story. And the doctor said, okay, I'm Jewish, but you are the only Christians who are allowed to talk to me about God all the time, anytime you want, because these kinds of things always happen to you. And it was nice to know that our church had such a reputation of generosity and grace and listening to God. That was good.
0: Early on, our church was called a donut church. It had nothing to do with eating donuts out on the uh, courtyard. We didn't have a courtyard then. But it was because there was kind of a hole in the middle. Most of our people came from a long ways away. They came from Ramona, they came from Escondido, they came from Mira Mesa, but not too many people, like right here in the vicinity. There were the Mayors, there was the McCraveys, and the Moors. I guess you had to have a name starting with the letter M. I don't know. But not too many people right here. That's changed and even more and more I think our church is looking how do we impact, not just the world out there, but right here in our community. Let's make a difference with our community.
1: It's interesting when you think about it that God's Word never changes, but our culture and society and values and our world change. And I really love that we have a new young pastor and that we're pulling in lots of young families who will speak God's word to a new generation, that will speak the language of a new culture and a new society and change the world with His word in this time period. Big things in store, we're looking forward to that.
2: So as you can see, there was uh, a lot of great things that have happened in that second decade specifically. And, and Pastor Evan um, did want me to make a, a small point of clarity that the, uh, the youth pastor that, they, that he was mentioning was uh, Pastor Jim Hammond that had a done gr- a great job and so was a great youth pastor. So I, in, in case some of you were thinking he was talking about himself, he was not talking about himself. <laughs> he, was, he was celebrating that, that they brought uh, God had brought Jim Hammond here for that role. So just want to clarify that. But as you can see, um, we are We are in the midst of this this season of celebrating what God has done in our church and, and ex- being excited about what he's doing now and what he's going to continue to doing, uh, uh, be doing as we move uh, in this next ger- direction that God has us. And so it's something where we're celebrating what he's doing, excited, and then looking forward to the next season. And with that said, we are starting a brand new series this morning called We Are The Church. And so what we're gonna do over the next several weeks together is that we are going to look at the first couple chapters of Acts and looking at what the church in Acts, what it looked like from the very beginning, What are some elements that we see from from the story of the church in the book of Acts? How are we as Pomerado Christian Church continuing to do that? And what does that look like for us as we continue in the direction that God has for us? And so it's something we're going to celebrate that. We're going to look at those things. And so over the course of this series, we're going to get a better idea of what the church was originally designed to do, how we are doing that, and where we will go as God calls us to that. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for each and every one of us this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, and I pray, Lord, that um, God, that you would work and speak and move in an incredible way this morning. I pray that every single person that is here or, or potentially listening online would, be, uh, would know that you love them and that they are listening to this message for a reason. So I pray that you would encourage and challenge. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful way. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow and continue to uh, love the idea of being your church as we have in the past, are doing now, and will do in the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I want to share a couple stories with you. Uh, The first one is this idea that um, I have this hobby I really enjoy. Um, I don't know how many of you have hobbies. Does anyone here like to hike? Awesome. Okay. Does anybody here like to go on hikes and find small treasures in the woods called geocaching? Wow, there are some people. This is amazing. So this is my hobby. This is what I love to do, is I love to be able to... It's not only hikes, they're everywhere. Um, and so I have this hobby where you, you take your phone or GPS and you put in coordinates, and every time I do it, like, oh, that's sound really smart and cool when I do it. Uh, but it's one of those where I have these coordinates, and I go and I try to find these, like, these these treasure boxes, but really it's this, the joke about geocaching is that you spend billions of dollars of satellite equipment to find small boxes in the woods. And it's this idea of, it's just this idea of a treasure hunt. And I love doing, I love looking for that. I love uh, finding those things. But, um, and so real quick caveat, if you ever see me like standing on the side of the road, walking through a bush, just know it's because I'm looking for a geocache. You can just, you can come say hi. That way I can feel embarrassed, but um, I've had people just stop by. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, geocaching. I'm sorry. But uh, so if you ever see me in a predicament or an odd circumstance, it's probably that. But with that said, I want to just have you join me for a second. When I went on a, a walk and a hike one day, so I was in the mountains and I had parked my car nearby, had gone up on this little hill, and I had to find the geocache. And I looked at my my phone and the GPS and say it says about 30 feet this way, or it's about 60 feet the other way. And so what it was is that there was through this big bush, but this way was a little bit more circuitous. It was kind of a little bit further around. It's the scenic route. And this one was a little bit more direct. The difference was that this one, the 30-foot one, had about a 15 to 20-foot drop, a cliff right next to it. And so um, being the responsible person I am, I went to that side. And I ended up going over and I'm like, I'm ready for this. I have uh, white tennis shoes with no grip. Like I'm ready to go mountain geocaching, hiking on a cliff. And so it was not smart. I ended up walking over and I start to feel myself slip a little bit. So I saw, I saw, I knew where the geocache was, but I started to slip a little bit and I grabbed onto the bush that was nearby. And uh, here's a little nature fact, bushes aren't strong. And so I ended up falling down and sliding down this cliff. I got all scraped up on my side um, and I reached the bottom and thank, thank God I did not, you know, tumble further down because I could have. But it's that moment you ever had those moments when like your adrenaline's pumping and you just, like your hands are shaking. You're just like, oh man, I can't believe that just happened. And then I have this moment of, oh no, no one knows where I am right now that my wife knew I was going geocaching, but I didn't give her those coordinates. I didn't tell her where I was going to be. And so I had this moment of thinking, okay, how am I going to get back? How am I going to get out of here? What happens if I can't find a way out? And so I was really worried at this time because I was alone and I was by myself and I was isolated and separated from everybody. And so I kind of got my wits about me. I ended up looking around and seeing that there was a, a, an easy enough path, it wasn't easy, but it was enough of a path for me to get up this little side of the embankment onto the road so that I could at least get back to where my car was. And so I, you know, I made my way back up there, I'm still shaking, I go back up, get to where my car was, and then I go back and find the geocache. But I went this, the smarter way this time. But I had this moment of being alone and being fearful of what that would look like, because what if I had broken a leg? What if I had rolled further down? What if I had been knocked out? What if I had gotten hurt much worse than I had, and I was all alone, no one knew where I was, and no one knew the circumstance? It was not a wise thing at all. So rightfully so, Steph was like, from now on, you need to tell me where you're going. And it's another check in the box that my wife is wiser than me. So I had that, but let me, let me give you the other opportunity, or the other story, is when I was going with a different with a friend, and we went out into this desert up in like Phelan, California. So it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we ended up going out there and he had um, a really good uh, four-wheel drive vehicle. It's called a Toyota Scion. So it's not very good for, for a four-wheel drive at all. So we are going and there's a path on the road, but then they were like, he's like, hey, let's go this way. And so that's always a dangerous statement. And it's like, we started going over these little bumps and we end up getting to a bump where just right, the car got stuck. There was no traction enough to move forward. You couldn't go backwards. We're trying to like dig out the, the center area to see if we could do that. We tried to like get pieces of like things around to see if we could like get the, the um, what do you call it, the tires moving and we were just stuck. So my friend, he called someone who he who knew really well, who was retired and so he said, hey, listen, we are in, feeling California, a couple of hours away. We're stuck. Can you come over, help get us out? So he and I would walk around for a little bit until our friend comes. He comes and he has this huge wench there, and he is uh, cranking us and trying to get us out. But as he's getting us out, our friend got himself stuck as well. And so then we're trying to like do this like piggyback thing. It took us a couple hours. Our plan was to find dozens and dozens that day. I think we found like six or eight because at the end of like we're just we're just done. It's time to go home. And I know your first thought is, well, then why do you like geocaching? Because bad things seem to happen to you. But the truth of the matter is, the reason I bring those stories is that there's an example of what it was like to go somewhere, to be in a place of need, and to feel like no one knew I was in need to feel like I was alone, to feel like I was, no one knew where I was, and I wasn't connected to or plugged in with anyone at the time. Whereas in this story, yes, it was unfortunate, but I had someone who was there with me during the time, and he knew someone that was able to help us uh, get back into a place of safety and to be able to be on our way. Now, both had a happy ending, but one of them could have been much worse because I was by myself. And this morning, what we are talking about is this idea that for some of us, Some of you in this room are in the midst of a very difficult situation. Some of you are in a place of of mourning or struggle or wounding or heartache or pain. and, And you feel like you are over here, that you are shaking and the adrenaline's pumping, but there's no one there who knows your need. And there's no one around that can be with you in the midst of it. Because we kind of buy into this idea of our culture that it's better for us to You know, we want to be self-sustaining. We want to be self-independent. We don't want to have to rely on others. So it's easy for us to not ask for help because it's almost can be construed as a sign of weakness, which is just not true. But we don't want to say anything. And so we get to this place where we are alone. And so maybe you're feeling that. And so you're in this room with a crowd of people, but you are alone inside of a crowd and you feel like you're not connected and then we also see the importance of being with someone, being plugged into the point where you can get the help you need. And you are in a place maybe now where you are struggling. You are in a time of heartache, but you also know that you can reach out to people and the people of the church are people to whom and whom you can trust and that you could reach out to. Now I want to share a story of Megan Hill. She's a woman who lost her, um, home in, in Hurricane Katrina in 2005, I want to read in part of an article that she, uh, that she wrote uh, that kind of explains a little bit of this idea of the need to be plugged into the church. After Hurricane Katrina passed, she says, through my state in, in 2005, I was selected to be a research subject for a study conducted by Harvard Medical School. At regular intervals following the storm, researchers called to ask me a set of questions about my mental and emotional health, as well as my social support system. Each time, the caller asked, how many people in your community would you be comfortable asking to borrow a cup of sugar? I would answer, let's see, about 100? 100. That question was always followed by, how many people in your community would you be comfortable sharing your thoughts and feelings with? And I would answer the same. My answer to those two questions is an important clue to my identity. The reason I have such a stable collection of sugar-lending, accessible friends is because I belong to a local church. That in her hour of need, in her time of need, she knew she could call upon the church because she was plugged in to the people of the church. This morning, as we talk about our first point, is this idea that being part of the church is more than just attending on Sundays. It's being plugged in to the people and the purpose of the church. Being part of the church is more than just attending Sunday mornings. It's being plugged in to the people and the purpose of the church if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 1, um, we're going to start in verse 12, and to set the stage a little bit, this Acts 1, starting in verse 12, is right after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So just to give a little background, it's, he had resurrected, he was on earth, he taught and he did great things, he, had, he uh, showed up to people, had miracles, all this great stuff, and then on Acts chapter 1, is he's ascending into heaven, and he's telling his disciples, his apostles to go out. Now, Acts chapter 1, verse 12, where we pick up the story, is where they start to talk about the fact that there were 12 apostles, that there were 12 that were in Jesus's inner circle. But because Judas, one of the 12, betrayed Jesus, and he killed himself because of that betrayal, there was 11 apostles left, and they needed one more to fill their number. And so we're going to look into this idea in the beginning of what it is to be plugged into the people of the church by looking at verses 12 through 14. It says this. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Which, as you look at the idea of the people of the church, the question, I'm going to ask you two questions today, one for being plugged into the people of the church and one for people being plugged into the purpose of the church. But the one for the, being plugged into the people, the question I have is, do you feel divided from or united with other Christians? Do you feel divided from or united with other Christians? The reason we bring this up out of this passage is that looking at the disciples, the apostles that were there, when they start to list out the names, you have, you have some who were fishermen, who were not professional um, rabbis or, or had studied uh, much at all in school. We have people that were tax collectors. We have Matthew, the tax collector, who was, as we spoke a few weeks ago, tax collectors were reviled by the Jewish community because they would tax the Jewish community and then take over and above themselves. So they basically were robbing from their people to give to Rome, but then to keep the excess for themselves. But then on the opposite side of the spectrum of a tax collector, you have Simon the Zealot. And the Zealots were a group of Jewish people that were so strong with Jewish nationalism, with wanting the Jewish cause, that they would have looked at a tax collector as a sworn enemy, as someone who was a betrayer and as someone who was just opposite to what they would want to do. That you would look at these groups of people, you would see groups of women, which in the culture, they wouldn't have been invited to be able to listen at the feet of a rabbi. But Jesus, amongst many things he did was to establish the importance of women in the church and to establish the importance of women in building God's kingdom. And so it was men and women, that there were people from different backgrounds, and it would be easy for them to look at the things that divided them, that were separated, that allowed them to be like, well, you're different than me, and and you have a different thought system than me, and you came from somewhere other, and, and you came from here. But they weren't focused on that which divided them. They were together in that room, constantly in prayer, coming together because they were united by the one thing that is the main thing, and that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. That the things that could easily divide them fell to the wayside to the most important thing which united them. The idea that because Jesus had come into their lives, because they had learned from him and that they had time to study with him and walk with him and live with him, their lives were changed radically. So the differences no longer made as much of a difference. That for us at our church, that we can look at other churches that have denominations that might be different than ours, but we could say, listen, let's not focus on the differences, because the differences don't make as much of a difference when we recognize the difference Jesus has made in our lives, and that's what unites us. So we look at this idea that if you feel divided or united, the truth that we see in scripture is that it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. We see in the Genesis story and the creation that when God created the heavens and the earth, that it was good. And when there was light, it was good. When there was water, it was good. When they filled the light and it was the suns and the stars, it was good. And when they filled the water with all the creepy crawl or the, all the fish in the ocean, it was good. And when they created all the creepy crawler things upon land, it was good. That it wasn't good. The first time there's a, ter- a terminology, it is not good, is when it talks about how it is not good in Genesis 2 for man to be alone. That we were not meant to be living in isolation, separation, or division from other people. We were meant to be together in community. Now, Megan Hill, who wrote that story about her time in Hurricane Katrina and the support system she had through the local church, she writes uh, later in this article, a dilemma that especially is facing this younger generation that we want to be aware of as we reach out to people in this area. But specifically, she says... And she quotes sociologist Christian Smith studied the religious lives of American young adults and found that many of them think each individual is uniquely distinct from all others and deserves a faith that his or her singular self that fits, I'm sorry, his or her singular self and that religion need not be practiced in and by a community. That there is a a generation of which I'm on the very top oldest part of that generation, so I'm part of it, but there's a generation coming behind that that's a generation that no longer looks, doesn't have to always look at just full albums because they can pick a playlist and pick the exact songs that they want. That's a generation that could say, oh, I can listen to any speaker in the world, so maybe there's a little bit less of a, of a, a desire or a need to be part of the local church to hear that. And I'm not saying that for the, the, the young adults that are here. What I'm saying is that as a church, as the church with a capital C, that that is something that people are facing, this idea that it's easy for us to have our own individual experiences and it's easy for us to tailor fit the way we want to worship God with the exact songs that I want versus from different bands, listening to the exact sermons that I want, regardless of whether they're local or across the world, and I can make my experience the exact way that I want it. And so that's something that we, as a church, need to be able to recognize and allow all generations, but specifically this younger generation, to recognize that they can be plugged into the people of the church. It's not enough to watch it on a screen. It's, we need to have face-to-face time with other people. And so the, it is not good, as the idea is, not good for us to be alone, but the flip side, it is very good for us to be in community together. So there's two sides of the coin. It's not good for us to be alone, and it's very good for us to be in community together. I have a quotation from Randy Frizzy I want to read. It's a long one, so it's on the screen. He says, community is not a, quote, nice-to-have addition, but an essential experience for living a godly and healthy life. God intended humans to have rich, life-giving relationships with each other, relationships energized and motivated by the actual presence of God among them. Now, Adam and Eve experienced this perfect ideal in the garden, but their rejection of God's vision for life together caused humankind to be escorted from the garden and out of community with God. And this separation from God and the presence of sin in every human being's nature is a perpetual challenge to creating strong community. But it is clear from God's word that people were not meant for separation and isolation. That though it might be part of our culture and part of these generations, to say, I want to be separated and isolated and 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 not necessarily have to commit to be part of a community of God. It's clear that if you look at the Old Testament, how many times in the epistles that Paul writes to love one another or to forgive one another or confess to one another or to bear one another's burdens or to Admonish and encourage one another. These one another's. There's dozens of them, and it shows us that in order for us to live the life God has called us to live, we cannot do that in isolation. We cannot do that separated. We do that in a community because we can't fulfill all the one another's if we're the only ones. So we recognize that, as Craig Rochelle recently said at a a conference that we went to, that. The church, all churches need to be less about Jesus and me and my personal private relationship with God. That yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We confess him personally and we, and we trust in him. And we have a relationship with him. But it's not just personal between he and I. It's, it, or it is personal, I'm sorry, but it's not just private. It's not something that we just keep to ourselves and hide. So it's personal, but it's also communal. And it's while each of us are trying to have that relationship with Jesus, and that as we come alongside one another and admonish and encourage and come alongside, then we are able to experience the life God has for us. And so what that means is that Craig Rochelle says, we need to have churches that are less about Jesus and me, just the one of us, and more about this idea of Jesus and we as a community of God together. And so recognizing that it is not good for us to be alone, and it is very good for us to be in community together together. Now we talked about the people of the church and the next point here is the, the being plugged into the purpose of the church. Plugged into the purpose of the church. I'm going to start in verse 15 because this is where Peter starts to describe what the next step is for the church as they get established and as they move forward. Verse 15 says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Now, verses 18 through 20 dive into Judas a little bit more. Um, I would love for you to be able to read that at another time. For the sake of our, our message today, I'm gonna actually jump down to verse 21 to get to the crux of, of where Peter is going. He says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Become a witness is this idea of being a, this word witness means martyr. We've heard that often. Someone who's willing to lay down their lives as a witness for what Jesus has done in his resurrection. The question I had for number one was, do you feel divided or, from or united with other Christians? The question we have for this one, the idea of being plugged into the purpose of the church, is are you a disciple or an apostle? Are you a disciple and an apostle? So let's dive in. What's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? A disciple, the word for that means learner. It means a student. It's someone who would sit at the feet of a rabbi and soak in what they're they saying, what they are doing, how they are living, and that they would model their lives after that. So are we called as Christians to be disciples of Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely, we're called to be disciples of Jesus, that we recognize that we want to go and make disciples, in fact. So discipleship is vitally important, that you and I, we want to learn, and we, and we don't need to wait until a Sunday morning. In fact, we shouldn't wait until a Sunday morning to dive into the Word and have our time with God, because we can learn and grow and sit at the feet of our Rabbi Jesus at any time throughout the week. And in fact, if we're only doing on a Sunday, then, then we're missing out on the life-giving truths of God's Word. But that's a learner. That's someone who is a student, a disciple, a learner inside of a disciple. Whereas an apostle, the definition of the word apostle is one who was sent with a commission or to, to hit to our point a little bit more is one who is sent with a Purpose. One who was sent out with a purpose. And the purpose for which the apostles were coming together was so that they could go to all the ends of the earth, spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Letting people know from every tribe, nation, and tongue the idea that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death, but he was raised to new life so that we could experience new life and that they were going to go to those far from God and bring them near to him that they were gonna go and be sent out with that purpose, with that commission to be the church, to be people that are apostles who don't just learn and come on, a, on a, once a week and just learn what they wanna learn and then just consume what comes from the gospel and just soak it all in. They do that, but they are also not just consumers, but contributors, people that are part of the purpose of what God has for the church. So when I look at Amazon and when we wanna purchase something and we compare products, what's one of the first things we do? as a consumer, I want to see what other consumers think of it. I want to look at the reviews. How many five stars? How many four stars? Well, this one has four and a half stars. This one has four and a half stars, but this one has a thousand people that like it. And this one has eight people. So it's probably like their family or something, right? So it's like, you're just looking, trying to decide, okay, well, we're going to pick this one. Now, as a consumer, I purchase it, I use it, but I'm not a contributor. Like the makers of those things don't then call me and say, well, how can we make our products better? How would you think we could contribute to making this a better thing? It's it's, I'm not part of that. I'm a consumer of it. So for us, as we look at the church, as we look at who we are as the church, we want to recognize that it is not good for your notes. It is not good for us to think that the church exists only for us. Does the church exist for us to be part of it? Absolutely. But the church does not exist only for us. Jesus says in, that he comes For the sick, not the healthy. That he said in Luke 19, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That he has come so that not to serve, but... To be served, that we are not here just for us. And so when we come into a church, and I'm not saying this because I've seen this in our specific church, but I'm saying this because it is a, a problem that can happen in churches in general, this idea that we just want the exact songs and the exact order with the exact instrumentation and the exact vocalist, with the exact community meditation and the exact type of tithes and offerings, with the exact sermon, with the exact sort of attitude, with the exact sort of scripture that is exactly meeting me where I want. And then if it's not any of those things that ch- those boxes we would be prone to wanting to step back and not being plugged in to the people and purpose of the church again I haven't seen that with us but it'd be remiss if we didn't be aware of it so that it wouldn't become us so we recognize that the church doesn't just exist for us yes it's a place where we grow in our our community but it's not just for us now there's 120 that were picked that were that Peter spoke to in, in verse 15 They were clearly disciples. They were clearly learners of Jesus because it says they'd been with them since the baptism all the way through. But Peter wasn't looking for more learners. He wasn't looking for more people to sit in the seats. Yes, they wanted people to sit in the seats, but they wanted people that would go and be apostles sent with a purpose and with a commission to bring those far from God, near to God, to go and to, to teach people what Jesus had said, to baptize them and to have the great commission be their mission. And so we look at the idea that he had that specifically in mind. So it's not good for us to think that the church exists only for us. It's part of it, but not all of it. But it is very good on the flip side to know that we are the church and we exist for the world. That the church isn't the building we attend on Sunday mornings. The church is us. And we are the church. Hence the name of our series. We are the church and we exist for the world. We exist for those who are sick and need help. We exist for those who are lost. We exist for those who are broken. We are the church and we exist for the world. Acts 1, 23 and 26, to close this this passage says, So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two that you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Again, the emphasis there is, Who's the person you want to fill that apostolic ministry? That idea that we need to be apostles that are sent out with a commission and sent out with a purpose. And it came to Matthias. Matthias was then someone who had already been plugged in to the people of the church by being part of the 120, and now even more so he's plugged into the purpose of the church to go and to be an apostle. So to close this morning, I want you to just take some time today, this week, If you have your notes, you see those questions there, take some time to wrestle with this idea of these two questions. When it comes to being plugged into the people of the church, do you feel divided from or united with other Christians? Is it something where you long for that community, but you feel like you're alone in a crowd here? And if that's you, know that God has created a good thing in the church of being a community with one another to come alongside one another, that you don't have to be alone. The enemy would love to keep you by yourself but we want to experience true community with one another. Second question in regards to being plugged into the purpose of the church is are you a disciple and an apostle? Not just the disciple, but someone who learns, but then also takes what they're learning and is sent out with a purpose to be an apostle, to reach out to people. Now I want to close with a a story that is a well-known story in history. It's about the 40 martyrs, I'm sorry, the 40 witnesses of Sebasti. Now, the story of this goes is that um, in the year 330, in the Roman Empire, the Empire Licinius was the emperor of the East, and he broke his agreement with Constantine, the emperor of the West. And so with the Edict of Milan, the Licinius from the East started to persecute Christians. And so they would start to say, you need to bow down. You need to offer up a sacrifice to Roman gods. And when they refused, they would be killed. Well, there were 40 soldiers that were part of the thundering legion of Rome. They were Roman soldiers, but this specific 40 were passionate followers of Jesus Christ, that they were plugged in with one another, and that they knew the purpose of pursuing Jesus. And so these 40 soldiers, they held firmly to their belief, and they knew that they could not deny him by bowing down to idols or by offering a sacrifice to having another God outside of Jesus Christ. And so one of them spoke up and said, nothing is dearer. Or of greater honor for us than Christ our Lord. So, out of that, what happened is that Licinius had the governor start to um, first offer them money and say, The first one to deny Jesus will get rich. And then it was, The first one to deny Jesus will get elevated and be the leader of this and and get military notoriety. Well, then it was, they got angry because no one was falling for that. So then they said, they started beating them. And using the cat and nine tails, the same thing that, that um, they used against Jesus in, to rip his flesh in the crucifixion, they would torture these men. And regardless, they would put them in prison. And regardless of it, they would say, we are not going to deny our faith in Jesus Christ. To, to use a quotation, it says you offer us money that remains behind and glory that fades away you seek to make us friends of the emperor but alienate us from the true king we desire one gift the crown of righteousness we love honors but those from heaven and so then they start to get the governors get really mad and they tell them they're going to kill them they say in fact we're going to go into the heart of winter we're going to go out onto this frozen lake in Sebasti. and there, the men had to strip off their clothes and they were put in the middle of a frozen lake. There were guards that were around them to stop them from coming, but they, the Christians, they weren't going to stop they weren't going to exit their time of trial. In fact, they would also boil warm baths over so that the warmth would be so enticing that perhaps they could peel one of those or many of those Christians away. Now, they're there, and the, and the brothers of, they're saying like, we want to keep." Staying together, like, encouraging one another. They were plugged in together so that they were able to withstand this trial. And then what happens is that one of them did. One of them did deny. One of them walked away. And he walked over to one of the baths, the warm baths that were there, and he walked into the bath. But because his body was so cold from that, he immediately died. And so one of the soldiers there, that was one of the ones who had been watching guard, looked, and as, after that one died, he looks and he says, to the other soldiers, do you see that? And they say, what, we don't see anything, it's in the night sky, there's nothing there. He says, I see 39 angels with 39 crowns hovering over the 39 that are still in the ice. And so what he does is he recognizes that 40, that there were 40 that were once there. So he takes off his clothes, he takes off his Roman guards, his garments. And if you see the picture here, there's a picture of the one on the lower left with that red cape, he's casting off his clothes throwing aside his Roman allegiance to proclaim allegiance to Jesus so that that holy number of 40 would not fall short, but that he would then get plugged in and be part of that 40th person who laid down his life for faith in Jesus Christ. That this story was preached on while some of the people that were watching were still alive. That this is a historical antiquity that is well known and well documented. And the reason we know it is because we can see in this story a group of people who were plugged into the people of the church. They had support system when things were difficult. They had people that would encourage them. And when they were down, that they would be helped. And that they would help when others were down. They bared one another's burdens. They spurned each other on to not forsake the glory of the crown of righteousness for the crown of Rome and, and popularity there. And so they're had. they were plugged into the people, but even more so, they recognize that they were plugged into the purpose of the church, of standing firm on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, upon which no other foundation can be laid. That only salvation from Jesus, if through the name of Jesus, is the only place we can get that salvation. And they decided to lay down their lives for the purpose of the church, of not falling to other idols, but in so doing, they were apostles. They were sent out with a message. They were revealing the message of the hope and life and love of Jesus Christ that only comes through Jesus. And that's the only way we could find salvation. And in so doing, we still know that story over thousands of years later. And so this is a picture, a simple picture of the church, people who are plugged into the people of the church, plugged into the purpose of the church. And it's not just about attending on a Sunday. It is that. That's an awesome place where community can start. But it's so much more than that to the point where they were witnesses, they were martyrs, they were willing to witness to the resurrection to the point of death. So as we close, I share the stories I started off looking for little treasures inside of boxes inside of the woods, that I enjoy going and looking for those and trying to find those. But for us, we recognize that we are seeking and save God's treasured possessions, people who He formed and who are lost. And it is so much more vital for us to go and to pursue and to seek and save that which was lost so that they can have a right relationship with Jesus, so they can be plugged in to the people and the purpose of the church. And we've been a church that has done that for 50 years, that is doing that now, and we are the church. We will continue to do that as we move in the direction God has called us to because the church does not. Exists only for us, but we are the church, and we exist for the world. And so that legacy has continued for 50 years, and that legacy is not ending anytime soon. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you that you are here with us, and that through Jesus Christ, we are able to be plugged in to brothers and sisters across the world, that we May not have many things that are different from, but we are not divided from them. We are united because you, Jesus, have changed our lives. And so we may have more in common with brothers and sisters across the world in your name rather than the brothers and sisters we have here on earth because your blood binds us for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would stir within us if we feel alone today, God. I pray that you would stir and encourage and challenge someone to come and ask for prayer someone to ask about community that we would get them plugged into the people of the church and that all of us yes we would come here weekly and we would learn that we would learn throughout that we can be disciples as well but that we would even more so become disciples and apostles who are sent out with the purpose of seeking and saving that which was lost so that they may have a right relationship with you and they too could be plugged in to the people and purpose of the church. So Lord, we love you. We are grateful for you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.